Welcome to the Job Shop Show, where we talk with the owners, suppliers, partners, and customers of custom manufacturers. Listen and learn the secrets of top-performing job shops, the tools, techniques, and backgrounds that have made them successful, all in the quest of raising the bar for custom manufacturing. I'm your host, Jay Jacobs. This episode is sponsored by Paperless Parts, connecting buyers and suppliers of custom manufactured parts. The Paperless Platform is a secure, ITAR-compliant, cloud-based manufacturing system for suppliers that reduces the amount of time spent on sales, estimating, quoting, administration, and order processing. It offers seamless integration with the accounting and ERP software tools that shops already use, such as QuickBooks, E2, and JobBoss. Paperless Parts was founded with a mission to make manufacturing more accessible by streamlining the quote-to-cash process. Spend less time quoting and more time selling. Shazam! This is Jay Jacobs. Welcome to the Job Shop Show. I love the opportunity to talk with shop owners who are taking advantage of new software to change their businesses. Joining Jeff Gorman and I today is Justin Quinn of Focused on Machining. Justin is a past podcast guest and a Paperless Parts customer. While at Paperless Parts Power 2023 user conference, Justin sat in on Jeff's presentation on analytics. Light bulbs went off, and he and Jeff had a follow-up Zoom call after the conference where Justin laid out to Jeff what he wanted out of a pipeline report. Jeff made it happen, and, well, listen to the podcast to hear how Justin increased his win rate by five percentage points within only a couple weeks, a direct result of the pipeline report. So that you can get a sense of what Jeff talked about, a clip on YouTube is linked in the show notes on the Job Shop Show website. Also, as a result of Power 2023, Justin is now quoting more from PDFs and paperless, and he shares what he learned at the event that pushed him to do so and how and why it saves time. This is what gets me excited. When users of technology take basic tools created and then make it into something way beyond what the developers thought may be done with it. Maybe a light bulb will go off for you as you listen to this practical podcast. Welcome to the Job Shop Show, guys. Justin, good to see you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's good to be back. Yeah. Jeff, as always, rocking and rolling. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us, Justin. Yeah, thanks for the invite. We saw each other at Power 2023 in May, Justin, and didn't get a lot of time to hang out. What are your thoughts after attending Power 2023? Yeah, so I, I actually had a phenomenal time out there. And being more from the West Coast and the East Coast, I was kind of hesitant about going. But I, I made the decision to make the trek out there. I wanted to visit Boston. I wanted to see, you know, your guys' place and, and, and meet a lot of the faces out there. And I couldn't be more thankful that I did. The sessions were phenomenal. I learned a little bit more about the paperless story, Jason and yours story of getting started, which was phenomenal. That was fantastic. And then every session you guys had, I I took away at least five things. I've got, I still have my book here next to me. I've got at least eight pages of notes that I took and brought back to the shop. You know, one of the things I got a lot out of was the PDF, quoting from PDFs. It was something that we had struggled with and kind of stayed away from, but we had a phenomenal session. I learned a lot about the tools that you guys have inside Paperless. I learned more in depth about it. And since then, 
we've been quoting from PDFs almost just as easily as we have been from models. And it's been, it's been phenomenal. What was, I'll say hidden that you didn't know as a tool or tools were available that were the ahas for you that have made it easy? Yeah. So our shop is really reliant on the model geometry to calculate our run times via material removal rates, et cetera. You know, I've, I've worked extensively with the paperless parts team to get us here to, to basically look at the model. I plug in my stock dimensions and it kind of calculates based on a table we have how long it's going to take to remove that metal. And then I go in and I make adjustments based on tolerances and a couple other factors. And we get a pretty darn accurate runtime from that. And so we always struggled with quoting PDFs because I didn't think that was possible. And I, I am trying to build a system here where I am not running out to the shop floor and asking a machinist to quote parts for me. You know, their, their job is to, to make the parts and not that I don't want them involved with quoting, but we're quoting so much that no one would ever get anything done if I bugged them on every single quote. So that was one of the things I learned, how you can set up your stock dimensions based on the PDF size. And then you can plug in kind of a percentage factor. A lot of times prints have the weight of the part on them. And so you can kind of back into the percentage of material that's left versus what you start with. You know, for instance, if right, it's, right. If, it's, if it tells me the part's five pounds and what is done and my material starts at 50 pounds, I know that's a 90% removal rate. And then I can plug in a couple dimensions and my calculations work just like normal. And, and I'm off and running and I got my run times and I don't need to go bug someone on the shop floor. So you take the extents of the part, create a rectangular block, and then you know how much that weighs based upon those dimensions and the material. And then you get the material weight of the part, bingo. Sounds like it's yeah, pretty straightforward. Yeah, I'm not even doing that much calculation with it. I'm just plugging in the stock dimensions, the length, width, height of the okay. stock piece, and it's doing everything else. You know, through through the custom tables, you can build tables with your material removal rates via material types. You can also build the densities, so it's calculating weight for you. And with those with those pieces of information, we can we can get pretty darn accurate on PDF, just as if it was a model. And if if it doesn't have weight and it's hard to figure out. I just use a gut number. You know, I mean, I look at the part, I know what my material size is and I can pretty closely say, okay, that's about 50% removal or it's a thin aerospace part, right? That's 95% material removal. You can plug that percentage in. And and again, it just takes it from there and does my calculations and we're off and running. How were you quoting the PDS before? Were you just going to your ERP system? We weren't, to be honest with you. I was... I was asking, begging, pleading for models. If it was an important customer, I was going to the machinist, bugging them. If it was not an important customer, we were just note quoting it just just because of the time and effort it took to put into it. Gotcha. And you say you're you're quoting so much. Has your quote volume increased in the last six to 12 months? I'd say it's been pretty consistent. We had a really really busy first quarter. So I would say quote volume was up Q1, but then Q2 actually slowed down. Quote volume slowed down a bit, but you know, we're always quoting a lot. You know, for instance, the current quarter, you know, we quoted 212 quotes, 725 line items. Really? 
Yeah. And, and we're a you know small 15 person shop. The last 30 days, I quoted 300 different items, 95 quotes sent. So it's that's, and that's a normal pace for us. We, we burn and churn as much as we can. So 20 business days, 95 quotes. So you're quoting, putting out about five quotes a day. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's days and where we don't send any, but then there's days where we send 15, 20. <clears throat> what else were takeaways from power 2023? Uh, one of the things I was really excited about was meeting the team, right? Like I had relationships with so many people, but it was through emails or maybe yeah. a video call, you know, meeting people face to face. There's, there's so much to be said for that, right? Especially after COVID, you know, I, I, I didn't always put value in that, but now, now going through that, there's, there's so much that you can glean meeting someone face-to-face, shaking their hand, you know, having a beer with them, whatever it's, I feel like I have a much deeper relationship with the paperless parks team. I know more people there now. So if I have something specific, I can kind of reach out and get assistance in that area. So that was great. Meeting some of the other shop owners was fantastic. I met a couple other owners that were doing some really cool stuff with paperless parks. And so I've made connections with them. I've traded emails and we've had, we've had meetings with them talking about what they're doing, how they're making it happen. And it's kind of one of those things that you, you don't see that path or see that vision until someone else says, oh, we're doing it this way. And then all of a sudden a light yeah. bulb comes off in your head and, and you know, you can apply that to how you do things. So I've, I had some really good relationships and then, and then the analytics side was always something I wanted to dig deeper into, but just didn't have time at the shop. So Jeff did a great session on analytics. And again, I learned a handful of nuggets there, was dangerous enough to come back and do a little bit on my own. But then building that personal relationship with Jeff, he and I had a meeting a couple of weeks ago. We we built a really sweet pipeline dashboard and I'm checking it every day. And I've made, I've made some improvements on our numbers since this pipeline has been built because of the information I've seen come out of it. I want to really dig into the analytics and specifically the forecasting, the pipeline report. Before we do that dive, I think what you said, though, about meeting the other shop owners, the relationships that you've developed, the content that you get at a conference, whether it's the paperless parts, Power 2023, or a SolidWorks world, it's, it's the people you meet who are actually using the product and who are using it in ways that you may not have thought it could be done or you never that that technique or method hadn't crossed your mind and they may be doing stuff that paperless parts folks don't know about those relationships to me that's that's really the gold you'll pay for your cost of attendance if you will by the content you get where it really makes it useful is those relationships and i remember some of the relationships that I've developed at conferences over the years with other peers that, you know, those have lasted decades. People have become friends and they definitely, there were a lot of aha moments where Mm -hmm. the light bulb went off and we traded stuff back and forth and we made each other better. And I really, I look at that as how we, the goal of this podcast is to raise the bar of custom manufacturing. It's, not all of us being an island and doing it on our own and figuring it out. It's collectively helping each other. And that's what raises the bar. 
I love that you made those connections and that you feel that that was a worthwhile part of the, of the event. Yeah, I often find that no matter what kind of conference I go to, even IMTS, things like that, it's it's the relationships and the people you meet that that drive the long-term value of those. Just like you said, you know, I could be pounding my head against the, the desk trying to figure something out or trying to break into a new industry or figure, you know, just solve the the many, many problems that any shop owner deals with on a daily basis. And it's so valuable to be able to send an email or pick up a call, pick up the phone and make a call to somebody sitting in your same position across the country and say, hey, I am really struggling here. I can't figure this out. Can you give me some help, guidance? You know, I'm not asking for the secret sauce, but just point me in the right direction. Or are we just both pounding our heads against the desk? And is that just life as we know it? You know, sometimes that's the case as well. And maybe you just feel better that, you know, you're not the only one struggling. I was going to say, somebody you can commiserate with and you say, yeah, "Yeah, all right, I'm not alone in feeling this pain. Yeah, there's a lot of that as well. Absolutely. Jeff, to tee this up, maybe you could give us a quick 60-second overview of what your presentation on analytics was about during the event. Yeah, for sure. So... I took the, the opportunity to present at Power and, and sort of just try to do one thing with that presentation. And it was get a few shop owners more interested in leveraging analytics. So my intent was to kind of demonstrate the value that having access to data can provide, try to give some, give some ideas as to how, how shops should start kind of using analytics from a square one perspective. Like what are the basics that, you know, if you're not doing, you're kind of getting behind. And then also try to provide some strategy as to how you apply. So it's one thing to collect data and have numbers in front of you, but how do you actually apply that and make a change? So try to basically inform, inform about what the tool is capable of inform how other shops benefit from using it, and also demonstrate some of the capabilities that Paperless Parts offers kind of against you know, other analytics tools that my shops might have. So when I hear the term analytics, it seems really vague to me. And what I'm looking for when I, which I think you gave in the presentation were the nuggets, okay, analytics, this is what it means. So can you give us three examples of what common uses of analytics from the paperless parts tools? Yeah. So the the first thing I did was define what a KPI is. So a key performance indicator. And I think Mm -hmm. that's what you would define as kind of a single data point um, Mm -hmm. that you would use to make a decision. So kind of the basics of analytics. So once you understand what a key performance indicator is, you can establish a few of those that make sense in the context of your business. So for many shops, that's going to be quote turnaround time. So how quickly are we getting back to our customer requests and mm-hmm. do we need to improve on that? Are we, are we improving on that? So that's a KPI you can establish and monitor. Another one is quote win rate. It's not always mm-hmm. great to have a super high win rate. Maybe you're charging, you know, not charging enough or maybe you're in a state where you need to win more business, so you need to increase your win rate. So that's a KPI you can establish, start to understand 
get a sense of what it looks like on a typical basis. And now it starts to change if it starts to go up or starts to go down. You know that kind of right front and center and are able to correct course. So those are two common ones. And a third one is maybe how many new customers am I getting on a monthly or quarterly basis? And that might be a mm-hmm. KPI that you track and look at quarterly and adjust marketing efforts or take a new approach with. So establishing a KPI that you can monitor and then what are you going to do when that KPI changes? What's kind of the effect there? So that was the goal of the presentation. And then um, sharing a little bit of how to in the tool as well. So how do you actually set these things up once, once you have a good KPI that you can track? And Justin, you attended, you heard something that sparked your interest. What, what was that? Well, like I mentioned, you know, I had, I had already known, knew that I, I wanted to use analytics and I had tried to get out there a couple of times and, and build some stuff because it's fully editable. You can create whatever you want, uh, but it was through Jeff's, Jeff's presentation where he kind of d- dove deep into what the headers mean and what the different fields mean because it, it wasn't necessarily intuitive for me. You know, I think some of the fields are built around more analytics terms, which I don't have an analytics background, so I didn't understand some of the terminology. So I was just guessing and trying to put things in right buckets and not getting the charts and graphs I want. So that was number one, was just learning more about that terminology inside the analytics platform and understanding, you know, what the different fields meant and how I should place my different categories and in which fields they go into. And then, like I said, meeting Jeff in person was fantastic. You know, he introduced me to another person on his team. And from there, we all connected. We got on Zoom. And Jeff, I don't think it was more than 15, maybe 30 minutes. We had a, we pretty much had our whole pipeline report built and, and we hadn't made any changes to it since. And it's, it's working beautifully. Why was the pipeline report the thing you wanted to tackle? One of my primary roles at the shop is the sales and marketing aspect. And for the past two years, we haven't really needed to do a lot of sales and marketing activities, even though I constantly do them, right? I mean, we've, we've just had a nice steady stream of work coming in. We quote, we, we win a decent amount and we stay busy. Q2, that changed. I'll be honest. I think, you know, we're in the aerospace space business and with the Silicon Valley bank nonsense going on, just the overall economy, I, I noticed the first slowdown that I've seen in, in a handful of years. And I don't know if that's something, right? Is, is this the tip of the iceberg and something more is coming? Was that just a blip in time? I don't know those answers, but the analytics and the pipeline report gives me the data I need to make sure that I'm doing what I can do to make sure our our coffers stay full, right? And our, our backlog is healthy. And that's really what I was looking for was to see, you know, dollar-wise, quantity-wise, how many quotes are we doing? What's our win rate? That's the most important number I think a shop needs to know. And in unless you have good data, it's you're just it's a shot in the dark. I'll be honest, I thought our win rate was way higher than it actually is. And I, I, you know, Jeff made the comment a minute ago that some, you know, shop rates might have a high win rate. And I agree, that's probably not a good space to be in. But I think having too low of a win rate is also just as bad. There's a, there's a sweet spot in there where you don't, you know, you don't want to be the, the shop that everybody quotes and never orders from. 
but you, you don't always want to be the cheapest shop out there that everybody orders from either. I think at Rapid, our machining side was roughly a 28% win rate. Yeah. And on the sheet metal side, though, we were actually, we were high 40s. It was crazy how high the win rate was. And it wasn't because we were inexpensive. <laughs> right, right. And so that, with that information, now I kind of know what levers to pull, right? Like yes. with our win rate so low, it really made me question our pricing. It really did. And I, I spent a couple of days diving deep into our pricing and our costs. And when I came out the other end of that rabbit hole, I, I decided, you know, our pricing, I think our pricing is fair. I, I, I don't think it warrants a decrease, not for the services we're offering. But what I did is I created another pricing structure for another type of customer. You know, if, if you're an aerospace shop, a company, and, and you want a crazy, ridiculous part with tons of tight tolerance made out of ink canal, and you need that thing in three weeks, I'm sorry, you're not getting a lot of price breaks from me. But if you want an aluminum bracket with two threaded holes in it, yeah, I can I can do that at a at a lower shop rate because I can have you know I have varying levels of of machinists at different pay rates. I can send that through that work center, et cetera. So it gave me some information that maybe maybe I should have a multi-tiered cost structure or quote structure based on the complexity of the part. Yeah, we had three of them at Rapid for machining and three different shop rates. I think I've said this before, but we had the simple parts like what you described, the aluminum, maybe two setups, pretty straightforward. And and hopefully there were a few different parts. It it wasn't one or two unique numbers. There were 10, 12, and we knew we could batch them. So we had a relatively low shop rate. And then on the other end, on the complex parts, and this is where the analytics really helps, we knew both by number of jobs as well as the number of quote and hours in the shop, how many of those, what we called, I think level three parts were in the shop. And we never wanted it to be more than 5% of our hours because skilled machinists and all those reasons. And I think if I remember it's something like $850 an hour we had for a shop rate at the end because nice. there was demand for those parts and yeah. we just didn't want to make them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's kind of the, the approach we have a lot is like, we don't, we're not crazy to make this part. We can make it, but if we are going to make it, we're, we're going to make sure we're, we're getting paid well for it. So when you created the pipeline report, were you able to go back and, the win rate, things like that. Were you able to go back historically since you've been using paperless for a while and say in 2021 Q2, this was my win rate and maybe your, your pipeline. So even though you hadn't created the reports yet, you were you able to access the previous data in that manner yeah. to compare? Yeah, we, we didn't get as granular as what you just said, you know, going back to a, a certain period of time or, or point in time. But I looking at my my analytics now, I've got four different basically tables with four different periods in them. So I have a quote value of all time, right? Since we've been using the platform, since we've been entering orders, all that good stuff. I see my my quote minimum total. And my average maximum total and my quote maximum. And it's easy, it's 
it's interesting to notice because this is one of the challenges I was dealing with when I was trying to do this myself. You know, when a customer says, I want this part and I want 5, 10, 15, 20, and I want to, I want to see three different date options, right? With, with expedite pricing. Yeah. Well, you've yeah. just sent them 16 quotes essentially. Right. And so how do you, which one is the right one? What's the right number? What, how do you, how do you calculate your pipeline? So we have a minimum, we have a maximum, and then we have kind of an average. So I can get a feel for, okay, worst case scenario, this is the, the minimum amount of dollars we've quoted. This is the maximum amount of dollars we've quoted. And then here's about the average of each quote. And then I can see my quote count, quote items, and then that correlates into a win rate. And I believe we did the win rate off of the min, Jeff. Do you remember the min number? The win rate oh, is the, is the it, count. Right? It's off of the, the part number count. So Correct. order items versus quote items, as opposed Correct. to just like the quote in order count, so that you're considering how many of the unique parts you quoted did you win rather than how many quotes had a, a part ordered them yeah which some, some shops think of it the other way but yeah but you could do both you could look at it that way you could also have a win rate of your low right. dollars your average dollars and your high dollars and you know, those percentages would vary but if you're trying to maintain i don't know what the i don't know what the information you would get out of it but i would think that there would be some consistencies and then if you see some variations it would make you look at maybe if maybe if the the high dollars is becoming a lot higher that means your your volumes quoting are getting lower right so, it, so it, it, it just indications of things to look for see that's that's you just put a light bulb in my head there with how we could take this one step further and break it out almost into part value right or quote value yeah. and 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 try to delineate okay Easy parts, cheap parts, you know, medium yeah. parts, average pricing, complex parts, high pricing. What's our win rate for each of those categories? And like you said, you know, lately I can definitely tell you we've had way too much of the complex stuff. That's all we've had lately, it seems like. So what levers do we need to pull in the, the easy and medium categories to increase volume there? That way we have we don't just have nothing but complex. I'll, I'll share from my experience that one of the reasons we didn't win the level one and level two parts we called it was because we didn't have the capacity because they were tied up with people were tied up with level three so our lead times or we couldn't maybe yeah. do the expedites on the simple stuff and it, it's these are the things that you go and once you start measuring it and you and you know, we we would not go above five percent if i saw that number above five percent then i started asking questions so people learn not to have that number above five percent and that definitely made sure our win rates were correct for the simpler parts. And I also want to mention push versus pull on analytics and reporting. And I don't know if how you look at this, Justin, but if I have to pull something, meaning it's an effort on my part to pull it out of the system, yeah. then it's less likely to happen. Yes. But if it's pushed to me, if I get an email every day that's automated that gives me all the information, then I'm much more likely to look at it. And I may not look at it for five days in a row, but it's always there. Sure. And I'll give you an example of analytics that I was copied on every 
quote in every customer email. And you can imagine we were we did over a hundred thousand line items quoted in in right. 2017. But I got copied on all of them and they just were filtered in my email. They went into this folder. And every once in a while, I would just go in, and, and I mean every once in a while, maybe once or twice a month, I just go in and I would randomly read through a bunch of them. And it allowed me to have a pulse on the business because of that push concept. It was really easy for me to do that. If I had to go and say to somebody, can me start copying me on the emails or give me these, it it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. I also want to ask you, you and Jeff, we talked about the the low and the high and the average. Have we also looked at the median? Because I think the median is more important than than the average because That's the higher dollars can skew the average higher. Totally. Uh, and the median would be perhaps more relevant. Right. That I, I wanted to make sure we circle back to highlight that. I think Justin suggested this earlier kind of getting at the fact that it's hard to kind of make sense of what your actual pipeline is, what dollars you're actually quoting in the sense that you know, when you send a quote, it's actually kind of several, several contracts or several potential contracts or several potential outcomes. Mm -hmm. so you send a quote with, let's say 10 line items and each of those line items may have four different or more even quantities associated with them. So you quote one unit, 10 units, 100 units, 1,000 units. And then even a layer deeper, yeah, paperless parts, you might have expedite options on each of those parts. And you might have a couple expedite options on each of those parts. And you might have required or non-required add-ons, finishes, et cetera. So your quote has a bunch of potential values that you win if, if the buyer checks out with that quote. So how do you how do you make sense of and track and understand what you're quoting in that capacity? And one one basic way is looking at kind of the range you're quoting. So what is the minimum value of that quote if the buyer kind of checks out with the least options, lowest quantities, the lowest price price point. Mm -hmm. Then what is the median, which is like you're saying different from the average, right? Because if you're doing like one ten and 10,000 units, the median and yes. average are much different there. And then what is the maximum value if the buyer checks out at the highest quantities and the highest line items? And that's often going to be an inflated number because usually the buyer wants to see an 1,000 unit price next to the 10 unit price that they're going to order so they can keep up over it. So being able to flag most likely to win quantity with each of your parts that you're quoting is one way you can just kind of think of it as checking a box. Like we're quoting four quantities, but I want to kind of track this one from a metric perspective is one thing you can do in paperless parts to help with that. And now you can report on kind of all my identified or preferred quantities to report. Can you use that, Justin? Yeah, we just turned that on now. Why do you think it's helpful? Well, I because I, I think intuitively a lot of us know, you know, this customer only orders five parts. What you know, why do they want me to quote a hundred? But we do it, right? Because man, if they were 100, you, you know, you, you know why they want you to quote a hundred. 
<laughs> right, right. They want you. But, they want a number to plug into their spreadsheet for their production shop. Exactly, uh, exactly. And they don't want to go to their production shop yet. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so it is nice to 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 plug in those numbers and say, okay, this is this is what I feel, or maybe the customers told you, you know, hey, I'm going to order five now. But down the road, we might order 100, 200. So it's nice to plug that in there. Then you have more realistic information, knowing which one of those line items that you believe to be the most true. Yeah, I'd like that. Now, another reason you want to know that too is if you're tracking your pipeline, there's, you're probably trying to affect it, right? Like You don't want to just sit there and look at the outstanding quotes and let them simmer. You're probably trying to improve your win rate and follow up on those quotes, reach um, out from a customer service perspective. So once you have that report, you can decipher, okay, these are my high value outstanding quotes that are probably more worthwhile to follow up on, kind of point yourself in the right direction. And then another thing is like, if you ask the question to a lot of people, it's like, how long is your oldest quote been outstanding that that's still valid given the contract that you send. That's tough to identify. So you probably want to follow up on the older ones. Those are coming up on the expiration date. That gave me an idea, Jeff, that something that would probably be useful that the beautiful thing about analytics is it's all automated. So you create the report and you can try something and oh, this information is valuable or it's not. But Every customer has their own cadence of ordering. And if you were able to have a field in, in a customer table, average order days, because you, if, you're, if you're looking at all your quoted items, it gets skewed. But if you can put a weight on, this is an aerospace customer and it always takes them 45 days to order, or these guys, if we don't get an order in two days, then we haven't won the business that way you could also start waiting your pipeline. And the, this gets into, Jeff and I have talked about this before, Justin, of what I call spiraling in. And the center is perfection. Yeah. Absolute. But you start on the outside and it's crude, but at least you're doing something and you keep spiraling in. You make granular improvements every day, every week, and they compound and you keep getting closer and closer to the center and perfection. And of course, you never get there. And if you zoom out or zoom in, then you're as far away as you were. But that's the concept that I like to think of all these building of your pipeline report, just like you're building your, your pricing engine is once you make these adjustments and improvements, they are captured forever and they you don't have to think about them, you're, but your price, like your runtime, as you were talking about, each of these things becomes more accurate for how you want to do it for your job. And there are the edge cases get removed. Yeah. Yeah. In our example of the material removal rates, that table we built. So we, yeah. you know, we went out there and we kind of just did some tooling calculations and got some removal rates. And I want to say we implemented that maybe six months ago, eight months ago. And yeah. we have updated that table probably 20 times since, yeah. um, you know, we've, we've gotten more granular with it. We've broken out different material types 
And, you know, it's, it's it, to your point, right? Like we were way away from perfection, but we started somewhere. And every time we make a part and we learn something, we get a little closer to that center point and we make a change and we get a little closer to where, you know, eventually, actually we're there, we're there today where I really don't need to go to an expert to quote something unless it's, unless it's like, Hey, can we even do this? And and those parts kind of need oversight anyways, but with how we're using paperless parts and the formulas we put in, I can, I can run with a quote by myself. I have a couple estimators that can run with quotes. You know, quoting is something that's pretty hands-off for most of the shop floor here, which I don't think a lot of job shops are at that point at our and time. You, and you were not six months ago is what I'm hearing. Correct. We were six months ago. I was constantly bugging programmers, constantly going out to my lead guys on the floor. And it's just slowing men down, right? Making the shop more less efficient. So yeah, we were, we were not. It was a constant push and pull trying to get my experts to help out with the quoting process. So at the risk of being repetitive, how did you get from there to here? What were the specific things? And I think you talked about it, but let's just let's yeah. say like A, B, C. What did you do that allows you to stay out of the shop and out of your machinist hair and let them actually generate revenue for you? Yeah. So, you know, machining apart on the most fundamental level is cutting away material, right? And, mm-hmm. and we... Anybody that works in a shop understands that there's different speeds and feeds, different different rates at which that material gets removed, depending on cutter size, which is a little more specific than we get into, but, but mostly on the material itself. Obviously, you can cut material way faster than you can cut stainless steel. It's just, you know, it's just more forgiving. You can be more aggressive with it. So what I what I did is I went to my machinists. And we sat down for a few hours and and I just started peppering them with questions. Like when you're programming a part, when you're setting a part up, when you're getting ready to cut a part, like how, how do you know where to start? How do you know where to start those speeds and feeds and and go up or down or in, in the concept of material removal rate is, is always been out there, but it's not something provided to you by a tool vendor. You know, it's, it's a piece of a formula that they give you, or they give you pieces of the formula. So, you know, we constantly reach out to tooling vendors and say, hey, cutting ink and L625, I've got a quarter inch end mill, the one you sold me, wh- where do I start speed and feed, right? And they'll give you an RPM and a feed rate, or they just give you RPM. Um, and then you can take those things, plug them into to what well, we, we found a couple of apps out there that do a great job with this, machinist calculating apps. Mm-hmm. And it will tell you your removal rate based on those speeds and feeds. So what, what I did, I went back to my guys and I say, okay, we can't solve this problem for every single part out there, right? And that's that's always the struggle with going to the machinists, right? They're perfectionists. They live in a world of splitting hairs. So when you tell them that you want to build an automated quote process based on material removal rates, well, they're going to they're gonna say it's impossible, right? Well, what cutter are you using? What material? And it's like, you got to pull them back a little bit and say, let's get somewhere and start. So I said, you know, let's pick, let's either pick a quarter inch end mill or a half inch end mill. One of those two, which one do you guys use more of? Which one do you use the most? 
I think we landed on half inch end mill for, for roughing and things like that. So I said, okay, let's calculate material removal rate for all these different material types based on a half inch end mill. And so we did that and we got a number, you know, a, a fractional number percentage. And then I said, okay, so now we know that that's for the roughing cycle. So we all know that we have to finish parts usually, right? You rip material off pretty aggressively and then you come back slower, finer detail, you finish the part, make it look nice. What are we using there? So that's where they said, okay, we're going to either use the same half inch angle or we're going to go down, but we're going to go much slower. Said, okay, let's, let's, you know, let's, what is slower? Is it 50%, 30%, 20? And they gave, I don't remember what the number was now, but they gave me that number and we calculated the material removal rate based on that information. And then we kind of blended those two together to get an average material run rate for both a roughing and a finish pass. And I tell you what, the first couple of jobs we had in the aluminum, gosh, we were, we were so spot on that I was, I was, you know, I was like shocked how close it was. You know, I think, I think we quoted the part at like a 10 minute cycle and we might've been like 11 minutes or something like that, you know, cut time in the machine. So to me, that was a huge win. I was like, sweet, we're there. And then the areas where we had to adjust were some of the, the dip, more difficult metals. The titanium we've adjusted a couple of times. Three, you know, I just did 300 series stainless all together when we first started. Now I have it big, broken out, 304, 303, 316. Mm-hmm. Inconel was one that we still are tinkering with today. We've, we find that there's huge variabilities in, in material removal rate based on the tool size. You know, if we're doing a bigger part and we can go a half inch end mill, it's a much higher number than if it's a small little in- intricate, you know, tool. Right. So we've, we've made, and I think we have more, more areas to improve there, but then, then we started adding things, right? Like, okay. So that part says it'll take 10 minutes, but there's three tolerances on there that are five tenths, right? So we know that, okay, we can't just push the button and let it go hog wild. And we're going to hit five tenths on the first shot. So we've added into our quote process where we look at the print and we basically just do a tally of all the features that we consider tight tolerance, you know, whether it's, I think we're at 2000 under on a lathe and maybe three or 4,000 under on a mill. And if I have four or five of those, I plug in that number. And I think rudimentarily, we're just adding about 10 minutes per part for each one of those type tolerance dimensions. And, and what that's doing for us is it's trying to estimate the time, the iteration time, right? Okay, we dialed it in, we, we're in quality. Now they're checking it. They've got the part for yeah. five minutes. Now it's back. Now we make an adjustment back and forth, back and forth. And so we've tried to capture that time by, by adding those tallies. We did the same thing on threaded holes and, and quantity of parts. I want to stop you there for a second. Yeah. That that is gold right there because what I'm hearing is you're adding the extra quality time in the material removal rate and quality you got to pay for it. That's genius by including it in the material removal rate. I love that. And it's, you know, it's it's a rough estimate, a rough number, but it's right, something, right. right? It's better than yeah. not charging for quality at all. And then yes. you're wondering God, it, it should have taken us two days to make that part, but it took four. Well, we spent a day and a half going back and forth to quality, right? So right. yeah, trying to figure out those things is 
is really crucial. And, and you're right. Not a lot of people quote for quality and not a lot of people honestly are willing to pay for quality always, but that's right. kind of where we get into that multi-tiered approach, right? If this is a difficult part in a difficult industry material, you know, you don't get a lot of price breaks. I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry that that part is very expensive, but that's what you're asking us for. Absolutely. Jeff, have you implemented for other shops what Justin was just describing? Not in the same capacity or with the same approach. Similar though? No, honestly, not in kind of like that hidden style. The only times I've had conversations around implementing quality charges were for customers that I think they're only working with buyers that require and need those charges. So like what you're saying, Justin, where people don't want to. Well, not specifically the, the quality, Jeff, but the, the material removal rate as part of the, as what Justin just said is how granular he's gotten. Uh, oh, oh yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But not, not in the same level of depth. It sounds like you've taken it in your own hands. So we've helped customers get set up with square one. I don't personally know how many of them have continued to iterate at the level of depth Justin has. Where I'm getting at is if somebody's listening to Justin talking and they want to get started, how do they get started, Jeff? Well, first thing is you have to you know, be willing to allocate some some time and resources. Justin kind of kind of showed his cards there that it did take some time and effort, but you've probably already seen the you know the break-even point of that to some degree, or you will in the near future. So you have to be willing to commit to a project of sorts. Then I would say you don't have paperless parts, you'll have to get paperless parts. <laughs> if you already have paperless parts, you know, you'll you'll have to engage with our team. So you're, you'll either be working with an assigned CSM and you'll know who that is if that's the case. If not, you can reach out to our support team and you know, just prompt a conversation to take a look at how your account's set up and talk strategy on how to enhance it. And we'll, we'll kind of get the understanding of what that means and loop in the right people and walk you through what, what the options look like and some of the approaches that we've seen work well. Justin, we got a little sidetracked with your wonderful example of how you have spiraled in and certainly worth worth going down that road. I appreciate you sharing that because that I, I love that. I think that's exactly how these software tools could be used. And every yeah. shop's gonna have their own flavor of how they want to implement it. Absolutely. But the approach of getting started, this you think that this is important, this is the way you want to go, and then continually refining it and realizing you're never going to have perfection. And there's an opportunity, though, to keep embedding in the software, embedding in the pricing engine or the analytics, the information that you've discovered is important and needs to be considered. Going back to the analytics, you've got a pipeline report now. What have been the results? And I guess it's only been a couple of weeks or so since you've been using it, but how is it changing how you are looking at the business, how you're operating the business? What What's the impact? Yeah. So when we first got the pipeline built with Jeff, I, I was shocked and somewhat disappointed with our, our win rate. You know, we were 
we're single digits or just barely double digits, really low, which, which when I saw the numbers, it actually told me how I feel like, man, we spent a lot of time quoting and not a lot of time entering orders, which, you know, it just kind of proved that to me. But since then, I can tell you that we've increased our win rate by 5% in the, in the most recent range buckets. My 30-day bucket, we've increased it by 3%. And then my, I have a rolling seven days. Uh, we've increased that number by 5%. And what I've been doing is I've really been paying attention to the quotes kind of before I send them and, and delineating between, okay, what is my likelihood to win this quote, right? Like we get a ton of RFQs from people that we've never met, we've never heard of. And so I might prioritize, you know, a customer that I know has potential to order over that one and get that one sent today versus, you know, doing first in first out kind of method. I'm also following up much more aggressively and consistently at the bottom of our pipeline report. We put a table in that shows all my outstanding quotes, when they were created, when they were sent, the dollar number assigned to them, and then how many times they viewed it or when was the last date they viewed it. So, you know, if there's a juicy quote out there, a $20,000 quote that I really want and they hadn't looked at it yet or they looked at it once right after I sent it and not again, you can bet I'm going to send you an email or two or even pick up the phone and call you and say, what's going on with this quote? Is it, is it in approval? Is it, is it just RFQ pricing? Is it, did we lose on price? Have we lost it yet even? And because of that level of communication, I've been able to make a couple adjustments and fine tune and win just a few more orders here and there just by communicating with the customer based on the data I'm seeing. So is the communication, the additional communication new or were you engaging in the same amount of communication before, but maybe not as pinpointed? Yeah, I was doing it, but but on a broad basis, we're kind of the next day I sent a quote, I was following up with everybody and it was just a very generic, hey, mm -hmm. you know, just following up on this quote, are we going to get an order for this? Now I'm still doing that, but I'm also pinpointing and, and being much more targeted where, like I said, if there's a quote that we really want, I will reach out to that person specifically and said, hey, we quoted this, you know, we, we would really like to get this order is there anything you can tell me that we're off? Is it lead time? Is it pricing? Are you, are you still working with engineering? Basically just asking them what, what we need to do to move to the next stage, which would be a, a PO. And I find that buyers are very willing to share that information. You know, they, they're, they're as, just as eager to get things purchased and off their desk as we are to win the work. So if you can reach out and say, hey, what do I need to do to win this? They'll, they'll more than likely tell you. And then the ball's back in my court, right? Like if it's pricing, do I want to go, you know, another couple percentage points lower? Or if it's lead time, can I physically do that? If I can, sure. Yeah, we can make it happen. So just, just adding one more targeted approach to communication. And to reiterate, it's because now you have a pipeline report that gives you that information. So you can be more targeted. Absolutely. Yep. What else would you like to mention about analytics that you have either implemented beyond the pipeline report or are planning to look at in the future? Since we've kind of been talking here, I would, I would like to develop the pipeline further into kind of that level one, two, three complexity like you were mentioning earlier. And 
and looking at win rates in those specific buckets. Cause I, I think we do need to monitor that cl- more closely as well. Right. We, we have only a, a couple really skilled guys out there, so we shouldn't be going after nothing but complex work. So yeah, I would, I would like to, to somehow build the pipeline to see what my win rate and volumes are in each of the complex categories. That way I could fine tune each of those quoting styles and methodologies to try to get the win rates that make the most sense for our, our people in our shop. At one suggestion also earlier in the call, you mentioned that you kind of change your strategy at the time of quote now based on you know, who it's for, what the geometry is, or maybe what the volume they're requesting is. And those are decisions that you're making with, with your head right now, but it sounds like a lot of them could potentially be automated in a similar structure like you've done with your material remover rates. So having a table that maintains maybe a customer name and like an incremental markup percentage or a discount percentage and having that automated. And you know, now you do your analysis, kind of make the decisions on, oh, I can quote this customer higher because they're aerospace and adjust that in the table. And you know it's not tribal knowledge now, your other estimators can kind of leverage the same costing approach. And you get to report, did this work? You know, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a great percent one. is my win rate. So we could probably set some time up to look at doing both of those things, continuing on spiraling in, in terms of pipeline reporting, and then also automating kind of the upfront results of the reporting. So what decisions you're now making about your quoting process. Absolutely. Did do an episode on that a while back. It was basically the gist of it was maintaining a table of incremental markup percentages for your customers. So um, you could also do that in a broader way. That's maybe on industry type and tag your customers with a certain industry type or your jobs with a certain industry type. But you can think of the applications in a table-like structure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that'd be easy to say. You know, this customer always has difficult parts. Or, you know, or is, is really difficult. So maybe, yeah, throwing a percentage there. So they always get that, that markup or, you know, if there's a customer that, that should get preferential pricing, you know, for, for whatever reason, add that discount in there as well. Or if you have a price insensitive buyer where they just order everything from you and now you start to tack on incremental percentages and see if there's an effect on your win rate with them. Absolutely. All, all different directions. We go. Justin and Jeff, this has been awesome. I think we have gotten some really good information that the audience is going to it's going to get them thinking about what are the possibilities. And this is the beautiful thing. When you get away from quoting with your ERP system and or your spreadsheet, there are so many opportunities to add value, to spiral in, to the win rate you want and ultimately that can improve your profitability so many possibilities so justin thanks so much for being here being willing to share what you are doing your thoughts on power 2023 is there anything else that you think would be valuable to put out there right now 
Yeah, I just want to thank you for one for having me on again. It's been a while since since we yeah. did this. I was pretty new in this business last time we did it, but so thanks for having me. I've learned a lot along the ways, and because of that, and all the insight and information I've learned from everybody else in this industry, I'm always an open book and always willing to share. So please don't hesitate to to reach out on LinkedIn. You know, find us on our website. Get get a hold of us in any way, and I'd be happy to share anything that that I've learned along the way. Can you share with the audience what your website domain is and your email? Yeah. So just www.focusedonmachining.com. And my email is just jquinn, J-Q-U-I-N-N, at focusedonmachining.com. Awesome. Thanks again, Justice. So good. And Jeff, you are, and the rest of the team, of course, creating so much value for our customers. And as I said, we are collectively raising the bar for custom manufacturing. And this is this is what it's all about. It's not these big jumps forward. It's every day being 1% better. And then you look back at the end of the year and you go, wow, look at what we accomplished. And But it was done one day at a time. Yeah. For the listener, if you are a paperless parts customer, have you looked at analytics? And my action, my request is, Create a report, try one of the canned reports, do something to look at what analytics offer you and see where you might be able to go with it, keeping Justin's thoughts and his actual implementation in mind. And until next time, keep those lasers cutting, those spindles turning. Have a wonderful day.